The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Again, that's Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27 on page 878. If you're um, new today and you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to take one of ours. You'll find it in the chair in front of you underneath. Please take one as our gift to you. Again, we're reading Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, on page 878. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. The word of the Lord is powerful. (laughs) When he returned, having received the kingdom, He ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. Then he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Then the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him, and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Ask for help. As we look at this text, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are a communicating God, and um, you've spoken through your word, Lord. We're so privileged to have your word and to hear the Lord Jesus teach. You've spoken through your son. That's where we see the beauty of who you are and what you've done and what you want, what you invite us to. Um, And Lord, uh, you're speaking now by your spirit, and I I pray for each person here, myself included, that you give us the ability, Lord, to, to hear your word this morning. Please help me to teach this faithfully and clearly um, and help us all to hear what you're saying and have ears to hear it and soft hearts to embrace it and let it, let it change um, our lives, our hearts, our deeds. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you heard this uh, statement, I guess it's kind of popular. Some people are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. You ever heard that before? Some people are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. And that was, I guess it's a somewhat famous statement by Oliver Wendell Holmes. 
The idea, I guess, is you could be so consumed with spiritual things and, and what's going to happen at the end that uh, you just don't do anything good or helpful to the people actually around you. Um, you kind of waste your life because you're consumed with that future idea. Now, what do you think of that statement? I think it's definitely possible that people could be, in a way, all about spirituality and not live in love for their neighbor. That's very possible. I know it's possible because I'm pretty sure I've done it a couple times. Uh, it's possible. But as far as the statement that, hey, if you're consumed with heaven or the end, you won't be able to live a fruitful life now, I, I don't know about that. Uh, what, do you, what do you think? I think your view of the end, right, whatever life is leading towards, I think your view of the end is going to have a pretty strong influence on how you live your life today. I think it's going to have a strong influence. Imagine for a moment, uh, say for instance, you're an atheist. You feel pretty convinced there's no God. So what happens at the end for you? You believe only in material, right? So when the end comes, it's the end. Like it's really the end. The end. And so, therefore, because when you are finished living your life, it's the end. You don't answer for anything. You don't enjoy anything. It's just the end. How does that motivate you to live today? Well, hey, there, there are plenty of atheists who care about doing good. There are, okay? But a lot of times you'll hear things like, well, I do good because it makes me feel good. And, and being kind can have that effect. But what if doing good no longer makes you feel good? What if doing good ends up being a sacrifice over time that calls for endurance and even suffering? Will you be motivated to continue in that good doing just to make you feel good? I would say in that case, your view of the end, that it all ends, really what it's going to motivate you to do is just live for what feels good now. And if it's good, fine. And if it's not good, then fine. But this the influence of your view of the end will say, hey, kind of live for yourself, live for your comfort right now, because now is all you have. Your view of the end deeply influences how you live today. I'm sure of it. And, uh, you know, the main reason I'm sure of it is because I think that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is going to give you his view of the end. Uh, we've been working through, our gospel, uh, through the gospel of Luke. Jesus is talking about what happens at the end. And he also wants to talk about how what happens at the end influences how you live today. If you see what he sees, it'll have a huge influence on how you live today. It will determine how you live today. So we get this very punchy parable about this very thing, seeing what happens at the end, having it influence how we live today. And as we're going to see, there's, he says, there's, did you hear it at the end of the text? Those who have, more will be given. Those who have not, what they have will be taken away. There's something you're going to want to have. There's something you're going to want to have had when the end comes. What is it? Let's listen to him this morning. I'm going to give you four points to kind of help walk through it. Number one, I want to remember who's talking. That's really important for a parable like this. Let's remember who's talking. Number two. Let's consider what he's talking about. Jesus sets up the scene. There's a reason he tells this story 
where he does. Remember who's talking, consider what he's talking about. Three, then we'll unpack the parable. I think it'll be clear. I think you probably already have a clue as to what it's about, but we'll unpack it together. And then number four, we wanna apply this point that Jesus is making. To have this thing that we will have wanted to have had when the end comes. So we're going to remember who's talking, consider what he's talking about, unpack the parable, apply the point. Okay, here we go. Let's remember who's talking. Why is that so important? Well, how many of you uh, were taken a little aback when Jesus Christ said, bring my enemies and slaughter them before me? <laughs> how many of you went, is Jesus a Christian? <laughs> Hat tip to Habib on that one. Uh, whoa! Whoa, who gets to talk like this? He calls, I mean, think of what he said. He said in his story that even the citizens who hate him and don't want, to be, don't want him to be king, he's still their king. So Jesus is making a claim here that Jesus is king over everyone and everything all the time. And so even if you're like, well, I don't believe in Jesus and I don't think he's king, Jesus is saying to you, I'm still your king. And, and like there's no escape. You can't say, stop the world, I want to get off. Like, this is the world and Jesus is king of it. That's, that's what he's claiming. Huge claim. Not only that, he's going to judge those who don't want him to be king. That's what he's claiming, isn't it? Now, let's be frank. For most people in the world, if they talk like this, you should lock them in jail. Right? Bring my enemies before me and slaughter them. Who talks like that in the history of the world? Tyrants, dictators, we should rightfully reject normal human folks who make claims like that. Which is why it's so important to remember who's talking right now. It's so important to remember who's talking right now. You know, you, that's, one, that's one beauty of going through an entire book together, isn't it? If all you had about Jesus was this one story... Huh. But if you put this into the storyline of Luke, what, what have you seen about this man so far? Is Jesus a uh, greedy tyrant? You remember how he was born? It was a pomp and circumstance, right, in a mansion, a castle? No, it was to, uh, it was to a nobody, right? It was to uh, a poor virgin in a, in a stable with animals, very humbly. Um, you've watched Jesus relate with people, right? When the leper comes, he's like, ooh, get out of my face. Or no, does he go up and touch the untouchable? Okay. When the blind man pleads for mercy and the crowd says to the blind man, hey, get out of the way, you're not important enough for this. Do you remember what Jesus did? This was just last week. He stops the whole parade and brings this, this outcast of a person before him. What can I do for you? Heals him. You are looking at the most generous and compassionate man to have ever walked the earth. Isn't it true? That's who's talking. You're also looking at the most, uh, the most powerful man, but it's, it's a good power, right? Think of all the miracles he's done. You read these gospels and like, there's nobody sick anymore, nearly. In this whole region, he's healing people over and over again with great power. Um, massive, amazing miracles. And of course, he's not like giving, uh, you know, he's not like giving horns to his enemies. What kind of miracles would you do? You know, aren't you glad? We're also glad that you are not divine because 
What kind of miracles would you do to your enemies? Jesus is never doing uh, tricksy, corrupt kind of things. Everything he does is renewing. The eyes that couldn't see, see. The legs that couldn't walk, walk. The, the person who was outcast is included. Just generous power and compelling, so compelling. You listen to him talk. Look, why is it that it's amazing to me? Every religion in the world, seem, it seems to be, cannot bear to say something bad about Jesus. Nearly everyone in the world can't seem to bear to say something bad about Jesus. Oh, he's a good teacher. He had good things to say. Haven't you heard that before? It's amazing. Now, they don't get it right because they don't go far enough. But the world echoes with the testimony of the, of the goodness of this man, his kindness, his compassion, his power. And when you wrap it all up, you see that Jesus is and claiming to be the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Remember, just the storyline of the Bible, the storyline of the world. God is good, made people in his image to represent him. We rebelled against him. We bought the lie. He's not good. His word's not true. We fell into sin. Right there, God has promised one will come to save us. One will come to renew us. And so God comes to Abraham. I'm going to build you a family. The family becomes a kingdom of Israel. Hey, one's going to come from Israel. And they have a king, King David. Hey, David, one's going to come from you. He's going to be the king of all. And he's going to save his people. And he's going to judge evil. He's going to renew the world. All these promises, who is it? It's Jesus. That's who's talking. He alone has the right to talk like this. He alone has the right to talk like this. Should we ever talk like this? Bring our enemies before us. <laughs> we don't have the right to talk like that, but he does. He's the son of God. He's the king of kings. The people that he will slaughter are the ones that he gave life to. They're his. The, the people that he will judge are the ones he has claim over because he's king and God. That's who's talking. So when we listen to him, we're listening to far more, right, than just a king. We're listening to the king. That's who's talking. Let's think now about what he's talking about. Look at verse 11. As, he heard, as they heard these things, he, that's Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed, what do they suppose? It's really important. They supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. To appear immediately. You have to kind of know what this crowd is anticipating. So you pretend you're a religious Jew. You pretend you've been raised on the law and the prophets. Uh, you pretend you know what it's like to be under the thumb of the Roman Empire. Um, you're in poverty. Uh, you're, you're in servitude. Um, there's injustice all around. And you're waiting for these incredible just write these incredible scenes from the prophets that say, one day the king will come and renew Israel, and he'll destroy their enemies, and he'll renew the world. And he'll, right, he'll, he'll, he'll come and, can you imagine the, the fervor that might be with this crowd as they're following Jesus, who they think is the Messiah, into Jerusalem, and they're thinking, he's going to come in here tomorrow, and he's going to wreck the Romans. And we are going to see it. 
He's going to walk in here to Jerusalem, and we are going to see the promises of the new earth just bust out of the ground. There will be health and peace and, and wealth, and we'll, we'll thrive. He's going to change the fabric of society, justice, economics, nature itself, and it's like tomorrow. It's this week. I mean, it's, can you imagine the fervor? We're going to see the kingdom. That's how they're feeling. And so what is they're supposing the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. What's Jesus doing then? Your expectations in this regard are not about to occur. This is not going to happen. That's part two. Right now I'm doing part one. I'm doing part one. Did you notice in verse 11 it says, as they heard these things? What does that draw you to? Well, at least it ought to yank you back to like verse 9. <laughs> as they heard these things, what things? Look back to verse 9, Luke 19, verse 9. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost what did we just hear? We just heard who Jesus is and what he's doing. We heard part one. This is what I'm after right now. He called himself the son of man. You could look this up. Read Daniel 7. You'll see this is the promised eternal king. Jesus says, that's me. I'm the one. But I came to do what? To seek the law. So the lost are these people who are hopeless and heading to destruction without him. And he came first not to dominate the lost or to boot the lost. He came to seek the lost. He came after them in their skin, in their world. He came to seek them and he came to save the lost. To bring them to himself, to earn their forgiveness, to make them right with God, to change their hearts. That's why he's here, point one. He came to seek and save the lost. And he's not going to do that by first renewing the world or by kicking out the, the Romans. How's he going to seek? How's he going to save the lost? When he goes into Jerusalem, it'll be to be crucified. Because that's how... He saves the lost. It'll be to be crucified. But we saw the fruit of it with Zacchaeus right there, right? Remember what he was? He was a wee little man, right? A wee little man was he. But more than that, more than just hope for short people, this is hope for, this is hope for sinners. He's a chief tax collector. He's a fraud. He's a betrayer. He's a criminal. He's messed it up. His, the resume on his goodness is hopeless. He's lost, and he's been found because Jesus came to get him. That's what Jesus is referring to as the people heard these things. That's part one. That's why I'm here, to seek and save the lost. So he's giving a change in expectations. Now, you know, amazingly, no one understood it. <laughs> No one heard it, but you can imagine the disciples later on going, ah, he told us, didn't he? Yes, he did. And so we get to look at what he said. So he's, he's in process on part one, seek and save the lost. But in this parable, he's telling us about how to understand this time in between part one and part two when he comes to renew the world, to judge evil, to save his people. 
Now let's unpack the parable. Look at verse 12. He said, Therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus and said to them, Engage in business till I come. But his, servant, his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. Interesting to note that Jesus is drawing on a historical event that everyone would have understood to tell this parable. There was a, um, so the Roman Empire is in charge of everyone, but they left regional leaders in different places. So you could hear of Herod the Great, for instance, reigning in Israel, but really, who's, who's in charge? Well, way up the ladder, Caesar. There was one case where Archelaus, a regional king, had to go and get approval for his kingdom from Rome. And he was such a tyrant and so hated that the, the Jewish people actually sent a delegation following him saying, we don't want him to be our king. <laughs> He's terrible. And Rome said, sorry about your luck. He's still going to reign. And so the people of Jesus' time, they, this is normal life for them. That a king of a region would go to an, a, a higher king to receive the kingdom and come back and reign. And so Jesus here is using this historical reality to make a, spirit, a, a lesson about spiritual reality. So we see uh, three kind of categories of characters in the story. We've got a nobleman who goes away to receive a kingdom and returns to reign over his subjects. Well, who's that? Anybody, anybody got a clue who... Who could that be, okay? We're going to go with Jesus, yeah? Was that your theory? It was, wasn't it, okay? He's, he's the, the nobleman, the one of noble birth, indeed, right? Who's going to go away to receive a kingdom. How's that work? He's going to die on a cross, then he's going to rise from the dead, then he's going to ascend into heaven where he is seated right now at the right hand of the Father, the high king, his father in heaven, will give to him the kingdom, and one day after he goes to this far country, to reign at the right hand of the Father, he will return to claim his own, this world. So it's this idea of delay, isn't it, between part one and part two? He'll leave and he'll go and receive the kingdom. He's king now, and one day he'll come back. There'll be a delay. He's in a far country. It's the idea of it could take a while, and right now we're at about like 2,000 years-ish, yeah? It could take a while, but he's going to return. Then you have his citizens who really do not want him to be king. Well, as we've been studying through Luke, who's that? That's the Pharisees. It's the chief priests. And even the crowds are fickle. They're curious about him, but do they really want him to reign over their hearts and over their minds? There's a whole bunch of citizens who they don't want him to be king. We've seen that over and again. And really, doesn't this kind of stand for anybody who doesn't want Jesus to be king? A question raised by this text is, do you sitting right here today want Jesus to be your king? Your mind, your heart, your life, your everything. Do you want him as your king? So you've got the noblemen, you've got the citizens who don't want him to be king, and then you have his servants who leave him to do his business. These are people to, who claim him as their king while he's gone. In each case, they call him Lord. You're my king. So how would you uh, 
describe who these folks are. It's people who claim to be Christians, right? Do you claim Jesus to be your Lord, your King? It's interesting to see he's given them an identity and a role. They're his servants. They belong to him. They're waiting for him. He also gives them resources. Did you see how each gave, he gave each one a mina? So uh, commentators say that's like three or four months of wages for the average worker. Three or four months of wages for the average worker. Gives them some resources with which to do business for him. So let's you know, plug it in. Whose resources are they? Where'd they get, who, who gave them the mina? He did. So as they work it, is it theirs? No, they steward it, but whose is it? It's his. And what does he want them to do with it? His business. Things for him. Things that please him. And so this is a great opportunity, isn't it? It's a great opportunity. It's the idea that Jesus gives his people resources. And we have a chance to show our love for him our thankfulness to him in how we use what he's given us. Why do you think it was a mina, like four months wages? Sometimes aren't there stories where Jesus just gives like huge, huge numbers? This is kind of like significant but normalish. I mean, it'd be nice if, if somebody gave you four months of income. That's pretty cool, right? That'd be great, but it's not like, at least not for me, that's not like cabillions of dollars. It's, it's, it's generous, and it's normal-ish. For me, I love this. I, I love this. Because that means your life and what he's given you. You're all wonderfully normal. We're, we're, we're normal. What kind of resources do you have in your life? Some more than others. Some, you know, resources are, you know, overflowing everywhere. Others, the, re- the resources are a little bit smaller. But this is people with nor- normal people with normal resources that he's given for you to use for his purposes. So, that's kind of the start of the parable. But let's look at the focus now of the parable. Look at verse 15. When he returned, having received the kingdom... What does this tell you? Is there any question here as to what's going to happen? What is Jesus going to receive? What has he received? The kingdom. And what's he going to do? He is going to return. You got to just ponder that. You got to meditate on that. You got to think about that. He's going to return. And then what is everyone going to do? Especially here, his servants. What are we each going to do? He's going to call us to account. He's going to call us to account. Imagine that. Glorious Jesus. And uh, I don't want to pick on anybody. Can I use your name? Uh, Matt. How'd you do with the resources I gave you? You know. Just imagining it, I feel like I'm melting like ice cream in the sun right now. Okay, imagine your name. Hey, you. Come here. Your name. Come, come here. How'd you do with the, with the resources I gave you? 
the more you let that land on you, is that going to influence how you live your life today? You are going to want to live today like you, will, like you will have wished you would have lived it on that tomorrow. Live today like you will have wished you would have lived it on that tomorrow. Because we're going to stand before him. We're going to stand before him. So the first servant comes, and you see a wonderful example of faithfulness. Look what he says. Verse 16. Lord, so first of all, he calls Jesus king. But then what are the next two words? Your mina. I like how he doesn't say, Lord, I am awesome in doing, you know, what you asked me to do. Check me out. You don't get that attitude at all. What does he call even the resources that he used to make more with? Your mina. What's on this guy's heart? It's humility before Jesus, kindness and grace to him. Everything I had to use for you was a gift from you. You know, it's so easy to get prideful or a little self-righteous about good things we do. Because look what I use for the Lord. What do we need to remember? The thing you used for the Lord was what? From the Lord. Even the desire to use the thing for the Lord that was from the Lord. The desire to use it was also from the Lord. Uh, you, you know the, the, the vision, right, in, in Revelation where the elders are throwing their crowns at the, at the feet of the king. Why? The crowns are the, the reward for faithfulness. And they're saying, even this was from you. Even this was yours. I can't take credit for this. And then the Lord's always just putting it back on their head again. Because he's so gracious. Look at this. Lord, your mind has made 10 minus more. So he took four months and 40 months. Wow, good job. Look what the Lord says to him, verse 17. Well done, good servant. <laughs> back to imagining that moment. Imagine he brings you before him, looks you in the eye, and then says, well done. I know I just got to heaven, but you can kill me now, right? Because I'm happy. What's, what's, what would be happier than that? Than for Jesus to look you in the eye and say, well done. That's it, top of the mountain. Right there. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over, what does he say next? Ten cities? What was the mina worth again? Four months of salary? Uh, let's say you... And, and he made, you know, he did a really good job. But what did he get for ten minas? Four months of salary times ten. What does he get? Ten cities? Ten Chicago's? Ten... Los Angeles's? Does the reward seem to fit the work? Or is it so over the top, it's hard to imagine? It is over the top. How generous is this king? He is so generous. He's ridiculously generous. In fact, at the end, the audience kind of watching cannot handle how generous he is. He is graciously generous. You're faithful with a little, 
and you use it for his kingdom. It didn't seem like much. It was a little, but it was the normal life resources that you have. And you were faithful with those for him. And then you get to stand before him and you're, oh, you're in trepidation and you're faithful. He says, well done. And he says, oh, just take 10 cities. Inherit my kingdom with me. Participate in the kingdom with me. You're a co-heir. You, Christians, if you love the Lord and you serve him as your king, you have no idea how ridiculous God's grace is going to be towards you when Jesus comes back. Every single one who is faithful, our jaws will drop with his generosity. It will be so over the top to where every one of us will be like, this is just ridiculous. I did a little bit with resources that he gave me in the first place, and now he's throwing this at me. And we'll all just be like, he's so generous. Well, then you get faithful servant part two. He had one mina, and he made five, and I'm so glad this guy's here. Because the first guy, he's an overachiever. <laughs> and I'm intimidated by him. <laughs> He's the guy at the pastor conference who's just done everything right. And I'm like, I don't belong here, <laughs> right? And then you got the guy, well, I only made five. Praise God for him. Thank you, Lord. Because not everybody's as fruitful as everybody else. And your faithfulness not, may not have the same shine somebody else's does. And the reward is still overwhelming. Oh, pick five cities. Just throwing cities at my people. Take a city. I got one and a half. Hey, take one and a half cities. I'm, I'm cool. I'm good. That's probably all I can handle anyway. I'm no administrative genius, you know? This is great. He's so generous. And it's not an issue of comparison. It's an issue of he's so generous to faithfulness in who you are and where you are with your resources. You generous to faithfulness, and it's all by grace. But then we get another kind of servant, a different kind. Another came, a different one, it says, and now we're in verse 20. Look what he, what he, what does he call Jesus in verse 20? Then another came saying, Lord, he still calls him. What does he call him? What does he say? Jesus is Lord. On the survey, is Jesus Lord? He would have put, Yes. Okay? I believe certain things about Jesus. Jesus is king. Yes. But he's about to get exposed as a fake and as a fraud. Verse 20. Another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a, did anybody catch what it was in? A handkerchief. <laughs> now, how many of you keep things that are special to you in a Kleenex? What you store something in has a tendency to symbolize what you feel about it. Not every time. But even in the ancient world, if you're going to hide treasure, you don't hide it in a hanky, right? You bury it or something like that. Again, what, is this, what, is, what does this minor represent? It's the normal life resources that Jesus has given this person. This person who claims to want Jesus as his king. But what did he do with the resources for the kingdom? 
He didn't do anything with it. He didn't value it. It wasn't something on his mind. He wasn't thinking of when the king returns. He was living, he was living for himself, and the kingdom wasn't an issue. Here's the scary part. Is he religious? He is religious. Does he have some good theology? He does. Jesus is Lord. But look at his heart. Look at what he says about the king. I kept it late in a handkerchief, verse 21. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. Severe. Uh, the, the Greek word underneath this word severe gives us our English word austere. You know what that word means? Harsh, rough, rigid, cruel, hard to deal with. You're, how, do you, how do we say this in uh, regular usage? You're, you're a jerk, king. You're impossible to, to work with, king. It's the idea you make people your slaves and you take all their stuff. So I want you to think about this. If you, if you look at the commands of Jesus for your life and you feel them and hear them as, as, and he's a jerk and just wants to take everything, then this guy's kind of a mirror for that heart. You're a severe man. Look at what he says. You take what you did not deposit. You reap what you did not sow. Now he's calling him a thief. So remember, who, who gave these dudes the minas? Jesus did, the king. And now what is he saying to the king when the king wants him to move, use the king's mina for the king? You're, you're a thief. This is my mina. It's my life. It's my life. Hmm. What's his heart towards the king? Does he love him? Is he thankful to him? Is he moved by his grace and generosity? Or is he a little bitter towards him? At enmity with him? Distant towards him? Yeah, you're king, but mm, not a good one. So now the king, the Lord Jesus, exposes him because he says in verse 22, I will condemn you with your own words, you, what's that next word? Wicked servant. That man's degrading of this kind and good and generous king is wicked. To be honest with you, like, is there a worse sin than demeaning, degrading, denying Jesus? Is there a worse one? Because who's highest and most beautiful, most kind, most true, the source of life? Who's, who's the greatest there is? The preeminent one. And to look at him and and curse him, demean him, hate him, not want him near you. It's wickedness. Your wicked servant. He says, I'm going to condemn you with your own words. And I think this next one's more of a rhetorical question. You knew that I was a severe man, did you? Taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow, did you really know that? Verse 23, then why didn't you put my money in the bank? If you were really that scared of me, then would you have kept my mina in a Kleenex? So Jesus is saying to the guy, I can't even take you at face value. Like you say you believe this about me, but if you, even if you believed that about me, you would at least have put the mina in the bank. And 
And in context, that might have been enough. That might have been something. Maybe for some of us, putting the mind in the bank, but you did something with your resources for the king. But that's not this. And he said, if, if you were afraid of me like that, you would have at least done something out of fear. But you didn't do anything. You didn't care about my kingdom. You didn't invest your resources in my kingdom. And so he reveals, doesn't Jesus? He reveals to him, did this man ever want Jesus as his king? He never wanted it. It was pure lip service. He never wanted it. He's a fake. He's a fraud. Look what he does. What does he do with the man's mina? Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Give it to that guy. Another city. I guess the guy has 11 cities now or something. What does the crowd say in verse 25? Lord, he already has 10. It's ridiculous. You're too generous with him. And this leads to Jesus' point. Verse 26. Parables usually have one major point. Look at verse 26. I tell you, Jesus says, that to everyone who has, what happens if you have, whatever it is, to everyone who has, more will be given. You get more and more and more and more. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So there's this thing, right? And if you have it, what will happen to you? More will be given. You're just going to constantly be receiving. He's giving and giving and giving. If you have this thing, but if you don't have it, even what it looks like you have, the kind of fake religiosity, that will be taken away. So the big question is, what is it that you've got to have? What is it that you're going to wish you have had, you would have had, when you stand before the Lord? What is it? How would you define it? What is it that if you have it, it won't be taken, uh, you'll, be, you'll just be given more and more? Well, I'd like to work through what we don't want to have first. Here's what you will not want to have had when you stand before Jesus. Number one, you won't want to have the heart of Jesus' enemies, Right? You won't want to be the person that said, we don't want him to be our king. And here the context of Luke is helpful because really I think this stands for self-righteous pride. This stands for self-righteous pride. Self-righteous pride is I'm good on my own. I'm good enough on my own. I'm good before God on my own. I've been a good person. I've kept the rules. I'm better than that person. Self-righteous and then pride. God, you're over there. I'm over here. I'm good enough. I don't need you desperately. And therefore, I'll be my own king. I'll live for myself. I'm good enough. Self-righteous pride. I don't want you to be my king. In Luke, that's what this is about, I think. You don't want self-righteous pride. What, what's, the, what's the phrase we've seen throughout Luke that Jesus is irresistibly drawn towards? What did the tax collector pray in the temple? Remember that story? What did the blind man say? What did he say? Have mercy on me. I have nothing. I'm lost without you. I need you and your generosity and your grace and your help. To the person who comes to Jesus and says, have mercy, Jesus is always like, here's mercy. (laughs) 
He's always throwing mercy at the humble who come to him saying, I need you as my savior, as my king. We don't want to have the heart of Jesus' enemies. We don't want to have the heart of the fake servant. I would, I would imagine that many or not most of us in here, we, we would say, yeah, Jesus is Lord. You probably say that. Um, if not, hey, I want you to know I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you're checking this out. But for those who would say Jesus is Lord, now the question, are we faithful or fake? Are we faithful or fake? And there's a spectrum here, right? Because I'll be honest with you, I'm, I, I look at my own life and I think, I think it's fair to say I'm somewhat faithful. I want to be faithful, but I still have pockets of fake. I still have pockets of fake. Do you have blind spots? Do you have cracks? you got tendencies where in that place in your life, Jesus is not the king. <laughs> where, where it's like you, you want to give Jesus your life, your heart, your mind, but then there's that place. It's kind of in your tendency or in your, that one's for me, or that one's for that person. Okay? So on the spectrum thing, hey, be faithful. Are you a Christian? Have you trusted yourself to him? And you say, Jesus, you're my king, and I want to live my life for your glory. Be faithful. And for those of you who are there, I hope you're there. I hope you trusted in Jesus, and you want to live your life for his glory. Look for the pockets of fake. Where are you saying, hey, mostly Jesus be king, but this one, no. And you know where you find that? You find that in places where you're disobeying. Um, You find that in, uh, hey, what are our habits when it comes to lust? What's our view on money? Hey, how come you didn't forgive that person? How come you won't reconcile? Are you, are you seeking him in his word? Where's the pocket? I, w- I want to ask you to ask the Lord to give you one thing. Okay, because obviously being faithful, it's faithful in everything, right? Jesus wants your whole life. And we want to be people with that kind of heart. Blank check, here's my life. You're my king. But nobody changes everything immediately. (laughs) What's one thing? Ask the Lord to show you one pocket of fake where he's not the king in that aspect of your life. And work on, think about, pray about what it means to give that to him and to invest that mina of your life in his kingdom. We don't want to have the heart of the fake servant. Do you love the king? Are you amazed by his grace? Do you want to live your life for him? What we want to have, if I had to try to define it, well, you see it in these faithful servants who have a thankful heart of faith in the king because they're overwhelmed by his grace. A thankful heart of faith in the king because they're overwhelmed by his grace. You know, I can't help but notice that in the book of Luke, here Jesus says, bring these enemies over to me and slaughter them before me. And we're all like, whoa. But then you realize, what is Jesus walking into Jerusalem to do? He's going to be slaughtered. For whom? His enemies. 
or his enemies. There's going to be a soldier who converts after nailing him to the cross. There's going to be a thief who changes after mocking him. There's going to be pharisaical, self-righteous folks who come to get his body and bury him. He's dying for his enemies. He's showing us such grace. If you see yourself in this way, hey, I have been an enemy. I have not wanted him to be king. And then you see the king who has the right to judge you instead being judged for you so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be adopted, so that you could be made new, so that he could give you his kingdom. He's going to give his kingdom to the enemies who deserve to be slaughtered because he was slaughtered for them. Who is this king? Who is this king who would take your place on the cross so that you could share his place on the throne? Unbelievable. If you see his grace like this, you're going to have a thankful heart. And you're going to realize that this life you have, this mina, what's the mina, folks? What's in your mina? What's in your mina? Is it your relationships? Yeah. At home? Is that in your mina? Does Jesus want to be king of your intimate family, close relationships? What about your emotional life? Does he want that? Does he want your thoughts, your mind? Does he want your money? Does he want um, your body and how you use your body? Does he want your hands and how you serve? Does he, does he want how you talk? Does he want what you talk about? He wants it all. And here's the thing. The more you think about your mind, the more you realize, look at all these resources he's given you that you can use for him. You know, I look at myself sometimes and I think, well, I'm a nobody. You ever feel that way about yourself? I'm a nobody. I don't have much. I don't have much to offer the Lord. If you're faithful with your not much because you're so amazed by his grace, dying for you, saving you, forgiving you, bringing you in as an inheritor, he's going to throw cities at you after you've been faithful with your not much. He's so generous. And when you get a, a zing on that, you start to get a little greedy on, I want to use this for Jesus. I want to parent for Jesus. I want to be married for Jesus. I want to talk for Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus. I want the way I talk to be for Jesus. I, you mean I can, well, let me try to wrap this up with, I think, two like nugget verses from the epistles that help understand it more. What is this that we want to have? A thankful heart of grace or a thankful heart of faith in Jesus, trusting him, repenting, turn to him. A thankful heart of faith in Jesus that's overwhelmed by his grace. That's what this faithful servant had. That's what if you have it, more will be given to you. If you have that, more will be given to you. If you don't have it, you'll lose everything. Look at Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1. Does that sound a little familiar? Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by what? The mercies of God. So because you've received so much grace, 
Now what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's your worship. So what's included with your body? <laughs> what do you do that you're not using your body for? Everything. Present it to him. Or look at Colossians 3.23. Some of this is, is for slaves in the ancient world. And look how broad this is. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, Again, junk drawer, right? Does, that, does, does anything you do fit in whatever you do? <laughs> whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. This is your business. This is your schoolwork. This is the cleaning. This is the tedious stuff. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive what? There it is. The inheritance as your reward. He will take anything that you do for him. It doesn't have to make the newspaper. It's loving service for his glory. In faithfulness to him, you are serving the Lord Christ. If I could just know that when I have to serve and it feels tedious and I'm grumbling about it, if I could just know who's, who's receiving this, Jesus, wouldn't you like tighten up the ship a little? I'm happy to do this. Let's see, I do this, you know. He's so gracious. You'll be rewarded. A couple questions to end. What's your heart towards the king? What's your heart? Do you sense him as a gracious king? Are you overwhelmed at his love, his goodness, his generosity? What's your outlook on your mina, the resources of your life? Are they yours? Are they his? Are they for him? How are you using them for his kingdom? Do you want to? What's it look like? Are you pressing in on that, praying about it, looking at it, reading the word about it? And are you thrilled by the reality of his gracious reward? Because he's going to come, and we're all going to be freaked out, and we're going to stand before him, and it's going to be insane, and then he's going to say, well done, and give us his kingdom, and we're all just going to be floored at his goodness. I don't know, what do you think? Some people are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. Well, not if you listen to Jesus. <laughs> not if you're listening to this parable because you will throw your resources into his kingdom like nothing else because you know he's coming back. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there is nobody like you. We want to please you. We confess how we haven't, how we don't. We need you. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy. For any of us in here who doesn't know you as our Lord and our King and our Savior, I pray your spirit would just be moving in them to trust you right now, today, they would know you, Lord. For, the, for those of us who do, I just pray that you would help us more and more to be faithful with the mina that you've given us, that we'd see that one thing where you say, give it to me, I'm King, and we'd give it to you happily, joyfully. Work this in us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.